how has God proven himself to you? How has God proven who he is to you? Andrew Claven is a popular novelist. Uh, he, although he grew up in a Jewish home, he, he spent the first 45 years of his life as a self-described philosophical agnostic and practical atheist. Recently, I read a, his story, his account of how he came to put faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. He said, Jesus never appeared to me while I lay drunk in the gutter. And yet, looking back on my life, I see that Christ was beckoning to me at every turn. When I was a child, he was there in the kindness of a Christian babysitter and the magic of a Christmas Eve spent at her home. When I was a troubled young man contemplating suicide, he, he was in the voice of a Christian baseball player who gave a radio interview that inspired me to go on. And as always, he was in the day-to-day -day miracle of my marriage, a lifelong romance that taught me the reality of love and slowly led me to contemplate the greater love that was its source and inspiration. But perhaps most important for a novelist who insisted that ideas should make sense, Christ came to me in stories. Slowly I came to understand that his life, his words, his sacrifice, and his resurrection formed the hidden logic behind every novel, movie, or play that touched my deepest mind. He says, I was, reading a, that, I was reading a story when that logic finally kicked in. I was in my 40s, lying in bed with one of Patrick O'Brien's great seafaring adventure novels, which, by the way, those are great. Patrick O'Brien, you should go read those. One of the characters whom I admired said a prayer before going to sleep, and I thought to myself, well, if he can pray, so can I. So I laid the book aside, and I whispered a three-word prayer in gratitude for the contentment I'd found and for the work and the people that I'd loved. And his prayer was this, thank you, God. It was a small and even prideful prayer, he says, a self-impressed intellectual's hesitant experiment with faith. God's response was an act of extravagant grace. I woke the next morning, and everything had changed. There was a sudden clarity and brightness to familiar faces and objects. They were alive with meaning and with my own delight in them. I called this experience the joy of my joy. And it came to me again whenever I prayed. Naturally, I began to pray every day. And this small beginning led to Clavin putting his faith in Christ. How has God proved himself to you? God has continued to prove himself to me. Sometimes it's him working behind the scenes when I think he's not doing anything at all, and then I discover he has been. Sometimes it's when I, I, I sense maybe a, a still small voice suggesting something or directing me. Um, there it's, it's, he's proved himself in times when he has given me a reserve of patience that I know did not come from me. I ain't got it. This month, my wife Jessica and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, and I could thank you. And I think we both agree that the greatest miracle we have ever seen with our eyes is the fact that we've kept this thing working, right? God shows up in different ways. He proves himself to us in different ways, sometimes in very small ways. But sometimes when God wants to prove himself, he does so in staggering supernatural style. And so today I want to just tell you two stories. First, I want to tell you the story about how God proved himself to an entire world and then I want to tell you a story about how God proved himself to one man. Here's the first story. 
And in these stories, I hope you hear God speaking to you and saying, I want to show you who I am. First story is this. We've been following this story. The people of God, the Hebrews, have spent hundreds of years as slaves in the Egyptian empire. God has raised up this man, Moses, to be the deliverer. But as we saw last week, God has a much bigger plan than just deliverance. He wants a demonstration. He wants to use the Exodus to alert everyone everywhere to the fact that he reigns. You see, both Pharaoh and Yahweh, Yahweh is what the Hebrew people called God, both Pharaoh and Yahweh made a similar made the same statement. They both said this, I have the right to rule. I have the right to reign over Israel. And the question is, who's correct? Now, twice uh, Moses has gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Twice Pharaoh has said, I will not do it. And now God is upping the ante with a series of judgments that we call the ten plagues. These plagues were designed not only to prove that God has the right to reign, but to prove that the gods of Egypt were frauds. You see, Egypt was probably the most polytheistic nation in the ancient world. Polytheistic, poly meaning many, theistic meaning gods. They had the most gods of any nation. In fact, we can't even count how many they actually had. We've been able to figure out that they had about 80 different gods that they worshiped, including Pharaoh himself. And in Exodus 12, during one of these plagues, God explains part of his reasoning, part of his plan for these plagues to Moses. And listen to what he says. He says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Why? What does he say? The reason is, I am the Lord. Every morning... Pharaoh would wash his face, he'd see his reflection in the water, and he would look down and he would say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And God is now going to demonstrate that not only Pharaoh are you not the Lord, not only Egypt are all your gods not the Lord, I, in fact, am the Lord. He's not only discrediting the false gods of Egypt with these plagues, he's showing he's superior to them. He's beating them at their own game. What I want you to realize about the ten plagues, and I'm not going to walk through all ten plagues today, you're welcome. But what I want you to see that they all have in common is this. They weren't just random miracles. Sometimes when we read this, we're like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing. Frogs are, that's kind of a weird thing to happen. What God is doing is taking normal occurrences, things that would have been familiar and maybe even normal calamities that would have taken place in Egypt, things that the Egyptians would have gone to their gods to pray for, and he has supernaturally intensified them. He has taken command of them. He has decided when they would start and when they would stop. He has, in many cases, made it so they only affected the Egyptians and not the Israelite living right next door. And each plague is getting increasingly severe, forcing Pharaoh's hand. So like I said, I'm not going to walk through all the plagues, but let me give you a few examples I want to talk about. The very first plague, we are told, is where God turns the water in Egypt to blood. Now, I don't know if this was actual blood, if it was human blood or animal blood, or, or it might be that what God did is he caused this algae to kind of bloom in such a way that it filled all the waterways. I don't know what he did, but whatever he did, in a very supernatural, miraculous way, the Nile ran red. Now this, like I said, was not just a random miracle. It was a direct assault on the heart of Egyptian worship because the Egyptians worshipped the Nile and they had many gods connected to the Nile. There was a god named Kanum who was the guardian of the Nile. There was a god named Hapi who was the spirit of the Nile. The god Osiris is the god of the underworld and the Nile was his bloodstream. 
Now imagine your whole life, you worship the Nile and its gods. You prayed to these gods for good fishing. You prayed for clean water. You prayed for, prayed for a heavy flow to water your crops. The Nile was the bringer of food. It was rich in provisions. It was creator of all good. It was Lord of majesty. It was sweet with fragrance. And one day, the fish in the Nile died. And the river smelled so bad, the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And the Egyptians are wondering, where's Canum? Where's Hopi? Where is Osiris? And, and, and who is this God of the Israelites that suddenly has power over our water? Or there was a second plague. The second plague was this plague where frogs swarmed out in unbelievable numbers. Now, the Egyptians worshipped this goddess called Hect. Hect was the wife of Canum. Hect is often depicted as having this human body and a frog head which must have really excited Knum, right? Now, she was the goddess of fertility, so you would pray to Hect if you wanted children. You would pray to Hect if you wanted your crops to grow strong. You would pray to Hect uh, for, for all these different things. And as the symbol of fertility and as the goddess represented by a frog, they had a belief in their society that you could not kill frogs. In fact, if you tried to kill a frog, you could be put to death for killing a frog. Now, normally, if you walked out and there was a frog sitting there, you'd go, oh, divine blessing has come to my house. Thank you, Hect. Where am I going to be blessed next? But imagine this time you walk out and the frogs are surging out of the Nile. They're filling your home. They're filling your pantry. They're in between your sheets and you can't kill them. And all of a sudden, this goddess Hect is losing some popularity in Egypt. The Egyptians worship Nut, the god of the sky, so God made it hail. The Egyptians worshiped Ra, the god of the sun, and so God sent a plague of darkness for three days. And Exodus tells us, yet all the sons of Israel had light. Can you imagine that? You're outside and you're going, why has it been dark for two days? Where is Ra, the god? And how come there's light shining over here on the Israelites? What does their god have that our god doesn't? The Egyptians trusted uh, the magicians and the priests and the sorcerers. These were the people that were uh, representing these different gods, and they would be running the different worship places, and, and they would speak for them. And, and yet they weren't spoiled. They weren't spared the boils and the plagues and the sicknesses that hit all the rest of the Egyptians. And people began to wonder, well, if the representatives of the god aren't safe, what does it say about the god himself? By the way, one of my favorite things that happens is that there was this plague of boils that happened and it was these really uh, painful eruptions that just covered people's bodies and it was an agonizing. And how it began was Moses went to the furnaces, the same furnaces where these, these Hebrews had been forced as slaves to bake bricks for Pharaoh. Moses grabs some soot out of the furnace. He walks up to Pharaoh and he throws it right in the sky in front of him and God uses that to cause this plague. The furnace of the Hebrews' affliction became the source of suffering for the Egyptians. And so one after another, God is battering down these false gods. And this battering reaches its climax in the last plague, the death of the firstborns. Now we're going to talk about this a little bit next week. We'll revisit this. But just kind of as a summary here, uh, God tells Moses, I want my people to sacrifice a lamb. And I want, I want them to take the blood and I want them to put it on the door of their homes and in that way, when death comes, it will pass over the homes that are protected by the blood of the Lamb. This is a clear precedent for us. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a modeling of what's going to happen when Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, would be sacrificed for us. 
but death would not spare the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians believed that each son that was born was a result of a god. So they would thank these gods. These gods provided this child. Yahweh is going to destroy what these gods had supposedly provided. There's no nation that was obsessed with death as the Egyptians. I mean, you remember the pyramids, these massive structures that were built, why? Just to serve as tombs. And they were about to learn that the God of the Hebrews isn't just God over their life, but God over their death. This is probably one of the hardest parts of the entire uh, Scripture for me to understand. Uh, I, I can't fully explain God taking the lives of innocents. I won't try to. I will just say where I do find some grace is that God did not kill all the Egyptians. And where I do find some grace is I realize the bigger picture that God was ultimately trying to free and save Egypt. Wanted to show them the folly and the danger of following these false gods. And this is the plague that hit home in a very personal way for Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh looked in the mirror every morning and said, I am the Lord. And then he looked at his firstborn son and said, and this is the Lord that will replace me. This is my legacy. He will live on. My godship, my kingship will live on in the life of my son long after I have gone to the place of the dead. This is my power. And he found his own son dead. And when his son died, that was it. Pharaoh says, I'm done. I'm out. I yield. The fight is over. And out of 80 gods, only one God stands. Yahweh reigns. And the slaves are free. I want you to listen to what Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron. It's very powerful. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks. Take your herds that you have said. And just go and what? Do you remember the first conversation that Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron ever had? Pharaoh looked at Moses and asked him one question. Do you remember what that question was? Who is the Lord? And now he says, will your, will your God bless me? And the Israelites began their journey to freedom. Now, Next week, we're going to pick up the story of how freed people begin to live. This is what God is doing because it's one thing to get people out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of people. We're going to see that next week. But before I share the second story, the story of Moses, I want to give you a moment to reflect. We've seen how God proved himself to Israel, to Egypt, and to Pharaoh. And again, I ask you this, how has God proved himself to you? I want you to think about times maybe you have seen God work in your life. A time where uh, God seemed to make a way where there seemed to be no way. Maybe it was some financial way, or maybe it was had something to do with one of your kids, or, or maybe even in the middle of pain and loss and grief, God was very present in that. You might even say today, you know, to be honest, God has never proven himself to me. Okay. Maybe today's a good day to begin to ask him to show himself to you. I'm going to give you just a second. I'm not going to walk up the stage or anything. I just want to give you a second to really reflect on this question. How has God proved himself to you? What's the story you would tell? So that's the first story, God proving himself to a nation. Let me share the second story. This is the plague from Moses' perspective. 
So remember the first time that Moses took a stand for what was right. He stood up against slavery. Remember, he he hauled off and punched that Egyptian taskmaster and killed him. And he turned around thinking that the Hebrews would say, yes, we're going to join you in this cause. And instead they said, get out of here. You're making things worse. He was so devastated by that rejection, he threw in the towel and he ran all the way to Saudi Arabia. He said, I'm out. I'm done with God and his people. Now, we don't actually know what Moses' faith was like these 40 years he was living out kind of in this wilderness area. We do know that back in this time, faith was not a personal thing. People didn't walk around talking about, hey, my personal relationship with Yahweh. They would talk about how God was in a relationship with their whole community. Faith was very community-focused. And so to leave the community was, in a sense, to kind of leave the faith. In any case, Moses is on this journey of unfinished faith. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. He's standing by this bush. It begins to burn. He walks over. Why is this bush burning and not being consumed? God speaks out of it, calls him to lead. And three times he says, no, you got the wrong guy. No, I can't do it. No, I don't want to do it. Why? He lacks the confidence. But he goes anyways. And after this first conversation with Pharaoh, things only get worse for people. After the second conversation with Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I swear by my life, I'll never let these people go. And Moses goes back to God and says, God, you've messed up. I'm not the deliverer. I'm a big failure. I can't do this. You picked the wrong guy. But during the plagues, we see a new Moses begin to emerge. Look at the way he begins to speak in these first three plagues. The first three plagues of blood and of frogs and the swarm of gnats. And in all three of these, God is saying to Moses, say to Aaron. So, so Aaron's the one speaking. So uh, Moses, you go tell Aaron and Aaron will do this for you. Okay. Then we see the plague of insects. But Moses said, the plague of disease. The Lord said to Moses, the plague of boils. Moses took that soot and he threw it in the sky in front of Pharaoh. Moses is beginning to step in. Moses is beginning to speak out. Moses is the one throwing the soot. And then listen to these three. The plague of hail, Moses stretched out his staff. The plague of locusts, Moses stretched out his staff over the land. The plague of darkness, Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky. Moses is stretching and being stretched. He's finding confidence, not in himself. We already saw what that looked like when he punched the guy. He's finding confidence in his God. And then you come to this last plague, the plague of death. The scripture says that Moses said what? What did he say? Thus says the Lord. This is the man who once and often said, who am I to speak for God? And now he's standing before a dictator saying, God said it. God has been delivering Moses from a man of self-confidence to a man of no confidence to a man with his confidence in God. This is Moses' exodus. God was making a man who would lead a nation. And we see this come true in this final step of the exodus. Now get the picture. They've been let go. They've gathered up all their stuff, their animals. There's this big movable feast of, of a nation trying to exit and get out of Egypt. They've been let go. And this mass of refugees are marching towards freedom. And then Pharaoh does what? Changes his mind. And he pursues them with the full might of the Egyptian army. With an immovable sea behind them and with an irresistible army of chariots following them, the Israelites realize we're done. In fact, this is worse than being in slavery because we're going to be killed. At least in Egypt, we were alive. Exodus 14, they were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt 
that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Look what they're saying. Moses, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Once again, Moses, he tries to do right and it goes wrong. Once again, a nation blames him. You killed the Egyptian. You challenged the Pharaoh. You took us from our homes. You made things worse, and now we're dead because of you. Now, old Moses might have agreed with them. Old Moses might have run away. Old Moses might have quit. Old Moses might have griped to God. You've messed up again, God. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Say that last line with me. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And fight for them God did. The sea opens up. The people pass through. The pursuers are drowned. God has proved himself to Pharaoh. He has proved himself to Egypt. He has proved himself to Israel. And he has proved himself to Moses. And this is a man who's ready to lead people to a promised land. And I love how D.L. Moody writes it. He said, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody, and 40 years showing what God can do with somebody who found out he was nobody. How has God proven himself to you? Has it been a still small voice? Maybe a, a sermon you heard or a scripture you read? Was a sunset your sacrament? I used to wonder why I didn't see these mega miracles like the ones we read about in Exodus. I've always thought, well, God, if you would just show up and do that kind of stuff again, everybody would buy into you. Why don't you do that? But early I've come to agree with Peter Mayer who writes this. He says, so the challenging thing becomes... Not to look for miracles, but finding where there isn't one, because everything is holy now. How has God proven himself to you, and how will that change the way that you face this week? I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and prepare to lead us, but uh, as I do, I want you to be thinking about a challenge that you're facing this coming week. You already know about it. You've been thinking about it during the service. It's somewhere you feel like maybe your back's up against the sea and you feel like this army of chariots is coming for you and you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? What does it look like to trust this future to the God who's proven himself to you in the past? And like I said, some of you might be here today saying, I'm still waiting for God to prove himself to me. What if you began with a simple three-word prayer? God, show yourself. Let's pray. God, we invite you into what we're facing. We invite you into the challenge and into the fear. You may not step into the situation the way that we would want you to, the way we would expect you to, but we're asking you to step in. And show yourself to be strong. Fight for us, Lord. And we will be still.